0: Welcome into the Jazz Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Anderson. Friday, Jazz getting ready to take on the Toronto Raptors tonight. This will be a little bit of a shorter episode because that game is only about 10 minutes away, but I uh, sent out a tweet. I wanted your questions. I want to make sure I address them, and uh, we can talk a little bit about where the Jazz are. You can find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Read me at kslsports.com. Make sure and download the KSL Sports app. Just go to the App Store, search KSL Sports. It's really the easiest way and the best way to get all of this content, whether it's my writing, whether it's my podcasts, whether it's uh, all the writing we have about Utah, BYU, football, basketball, the NBA, every sport, the NFL. We've got it covered at the KSL Sports app. Uh, all right. Jazz have lost five of their last eight. Uh, they're clearly struggling out there on the floor. This happened a little bit. Before the All Star Break and then uh, has carried over to the second half of the All Star Break. I want to look and and figure out if it's time for the Jazz to hit the panic button because I've seen a lot of it on uh, the timeline. Certainly during games, just kind of my day to day work. I've seen a lot of Jazz fans certainly feeling like, hey, you know, the the whole first half of the season was a mirage and now this team is falling apart. Uh, They're really struggling and and they are struggling. I, I do think that's absolutely fair. I do want to go back for a second though and let's look at the losses the team has suffered and talk about good loss bad loss, indifferent, you know, kind of expected what it is and kind of actually take a temperature of where the Jazz are. So I actually want to say the first time this happened, the first real loss that that started this was the Jazz when they lost to the Clippers on February 19th. It's actually their sixth loss, I want to say, in what, the last 10 games, 11 games or so. Uh, So they lost 116 to 112. Okay, the Clippers at the time were the number two seed in the West. They had been without Paul George. They had played the Jazz two nights before. They didn't have Kawhi Leonard in that game. Uh, And then they brought those two back. The Jazz brought back Mike Conley. I want to say that was his first game back uh, from his injury. So you're on the road. You're playing a team twice. Imagine that's a playoff series. It's the first two games of a playoff series starting on the road. What's your goal? Your goal is to split those. And yes, I understand when you beat the Clippers the first time on February 17th, they weren't fully healthy. Technically, you weren't either, but Clippers really weren't. But you won that game, and you won a big one fourteen ninety six. That wasn't really much of a game. You'd won nine in a row. The idea that you're going to win 10 in a row, you're going to beat the Clippers twice, who have basically thrown the game before to sit out, watch what you do, watch how you execute, watch what plays you're running, watch what works, watch what doesn't work, and then you're going to go in and have a counter to everything they're going to try and throw in an instant. I think that's a little unrealistic. So that, that Clippers loss, which was the first loss, against a very good playoff team that should be in the conversation for the conference finals, if not the finals in the West, uh, I, it's not a bad loss. You lost by four points, and, and you were very much in it till the very last minute. So I, I'm not worried about that loss if I'm a Jazz fan. You go and you beat Charlotte. You crush the Lakers 114-89. Then you go and play in, in Miami. Now, I get when the Jazz played Miami that was not a team that we recognized as as good as they are. And yes, they made the finals last year and there was kind of always this understanding that, hey, they're probably going to be better. H- have Jazz fans gone back and looked at how good Miami's been since then? I mean, Miami's now eight and two. They're the fourth ranked team team in the West. Uh, I should say eight and two in their last 10. They're three games over 500 now they're still four and a half games back of the Bucks, but they're a game ahead of the Hawks. They're going to have home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs. They just traded for Trevor Ariza. Like They're going to be a very realistic threat, again, to come out of the East. And I know how good the Nets are. 76 have been playing really well this season. But right now, the Heat are 8-2. and two. They were on a crazy win streak there in the midst of when they beat the Jazz. Again, I don't know if you count that as a bad loss. Miami's a very good team, and the final score in that game was 124-116, and it was undecided until the final minute. The Jazz were right in that game. Okay, then you go and you play at Orlando. You beat them the second night of a back-to-back 124-109, to a blowout. Next game, which is two nights later, you travel from Orlando to New Orleans, which isn't super far uh, and you lose to New Orleans, 129-124. to 124. I think at that point, since the Jazz have been the best team in the NBA with the best record, I think that was the worst loss they have suffered in this run. And that obviously changed with Washington. We'll talk about that a little bit more coming up in a moment. But you played the Pelicans. You lost 124-129. Again, Zion was great. Didn't really have an answer for him all night long. Jazz had that issue. And still, it was a game until the absolute very last minute. You got pretty good Uh, performances from players, including Boyan Bogdanovich, who had 31. Donovan Mitchell had 21. Then we struggled a little bit, just 7 of 21, had a bad three-point shooting night, 1 of 8 from the floor. But you were still in that game. I mean, that was not a blowout. That was not an ugly loss by any stretch. It was a loss you probably thought you could have avoided as the best team, but I think it's somewhat understandable. Then, two nights later, you travel from New Orleans up to Philadelphia. You lose in overtime, 131-123, in a game where you know you had a chance to win it. Mike Conley missed the game winner in regulation that could have avoided overtime. It's the best team in the Eastern Conference. On the road. You had a chance to win it in regulation with the ball in your hands. You went to overtime. You really didn't like the whistle you got, and you lost. Okay, that, that's how you should be playing if you're the best team in the NBA against the best team in the Eastern Conference. That's how you should play, and that's exactly what the Jazz did. So at this point, when we're looking at four losses for the Jazz over a stretch of seven games, up to Philadelphia, which was the last game before the All-Star break, you say, you know what? Probably should have played better against New Orleans. Otherwise, Clippers, Miami, 76ers in my book, completely understandable losses. Nothing to hit the panic button about. If you saw any other team, the Clippers lose those games, the Lakers lose those games, anybody, you would say, yeah, it makes sense. That's why you lose those games. Though I get why, the, why if you're a Jazz fan and you're biased and you've been watching this team win every game by 15 points, that gets a little deceptive. So you get the All-Star break, you come home, you struggle a little bit out of the break with the Rockets who were playing super young, Nobody healthy, played really hard. Kevin Porter Jr. had one of his best career games, and you ended up beating them 114-99. And I get it was a single-digit game in the fourth quarter. You wanted to play better. You didn't. They haven't looked great. Uh, you go on the road, weird Sunday afternoon game, daylight savings game, crazy testing schedule, Even before the game, Steve Kerr talked about how difficult it was. Quinn Snyder talked about how difficult it was. I didn't know this. Apparently, there's a California test that these guys have to take, which is even more rigorous for COVID-19. So you just kind of had this crazy game. You tipped off technically at 2 p.m. West Coast time, but it was daylight saving, so it was even earlier than that, uh, and you lost. And, And yeah, Golden State's not a great basketball team, but they do have one of the, what, six or seven best players in the world who was playing very well in that game. They're a game over 500. You're on the road. Like, it's not a good loss. It's not a loss you think that that you can, you can you know, accept every night. Uh, but they did lose that game. Uh, and, and it wasn't, you know, particularly exciting if you're a Jazz fan. Never felt like they were able to quite get in the game. And they lost 131-119. That's probably up there. It's certainly a better loss than the Pelicans lost. But it's kind of up there in that conversation. Pelicans lost. You may have said, hey, they're going into the All-Star break. They're going to be exhausted on a four-game road trip. And they were. So... Jazz then go on the road and they play at Boston, and Boston is certainly not great this year. I think they're below 500, right at 500 right now. Uh, I know they're they're not certainly having the season you want to have. But guess what? You did what you're supposed to. They're 20 and 20 right now. You went in and you beat the Boston Celtics 117 to 109, and you actually played pretty well. There were stretches that really looked like the Utah Jazz that we saw for the first half of the season, and. Donovan Mitchell played well, and you got good performances from the guys you needed to get good performances from, and you ended up getting that win almost by double digits on the road against a team that was really hungry. Uh, that 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 Boston team really needed that game. Every game is, is extremely urgent for them, and they just didn't show up. Donovan Mitchell went 6 of 16 for 21 points, closed the game really well. You remember he had that uh, stretch where he accounted for nine points in like 30 seconds, hit two threes, and, and found Mike Conley for a three. So, He played well, and you survived Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum combining for almost 60 points. So that's a really tough win. Winning at Boston's hard, and the Jazz found a way to do it. And then they followed it up, unfortunately, with probably their worst loss of the season. Maybe the home loss to start the year uh, against Minnesota is going to be a worse loss. But on the road at Washington, 131-122. Bad loss. I don't think there's any way to spin it. They played poorly defensively. They were sluggish offensively. They just did not look good. What was also going on? Well, they didn't have their starting point guard, Mike Conley, who they were sitting out to rest on the front end of a back-to-back. You should still beat them. You're probably better than that team even without those guys, but Bradley Beal went off for 43. Again, that's the Jazz fault. Uh, Russ got started early, ended up with that 35 point, 15 rebound, 13 assist, triple-double. Jazz got to play better against him. The perimeter defense was not there. They just didn't play very well. And they were still in that game, what, down seven with four minutes to go and a chance to steal it, even though they were down 24 in the first half. So, Bad loss. By far the worst loss. Over the last 11 games or so now that we're looking at where the Jazz have lost uh, six games, you have a bad loss to Washington. You have a questionable loss to New Orleans. And you have an okay loss to Golden State. Weird Sunday setup. Golden State's a team that was winning championships not long ago. They have an MVP uh, candidate on their roster right now in Steph Curry like I'm just not if I'm a jazz fan hitting the panic button now how they play tonight against the Toronto Raptors who have lost six in a row how they play against the Chicago Bulls coming up on Monday I think is going to go a long ways towards deciding whether this team's in a free fall or whether they're you know unfixable or whether things are actually okay because then when they get home yes they've got a very tough game against the Brooklyn Nets that's going to be their best measuring stick for a while But then they go Memphis, Memphis, Cleveland, Memphis, Chicago, Orlando. Dallas is pretty good. Phoenix is good. Portland's okay. Sacramento, Washington, OKC, Indiana again. like You have a very good stretch of games coming up where the Jazz could pick up a ton of victories. If they're still in the number one seed, they could build a bunch of space between themselves and the Suns or the Lakers or the Clippers, whoever's sitting in that two seed. You need to play well over these final two games of this road trip. But for now... I'm looking back at this team, and I'm seeing it on the timeline right now, and all these people hitting the panic button, and I, I guess I just don't feel that way. You're not having a great stretch of basketball. It's not the way you played in January, certainly. It's not the way you played in early February. I get it. You know, Quinn Snyder's not going to win Coach of the Month for March, and, and at this point, you know, doesn't deserve it. The Jazz have been playing that well, unless they really clean up shop the rest of the way. But I, I just not am, am quite at the point where I'm hitting the panic button the way it seems like a lot of Jazz fans are out there you can tweet me if i'm wrong at ben's hoops i'd love to hear from you i think i walked through and you kind of balance the losses with the wins that you have uh and i think you're probably just okay and yeah you know Beating the Magic isn't anything to write home about. Beating the Rockets isn't anything to write home about. Beating the Celtics on the road is a good win. It's a that's a that's a much better win uh, than I think losing on the road to the Warriors is. If that makes sense, I think I think that one probably gives you a little extra points. So I'm just not panicking like Jazz fans. Uh, but if you want to hit me up, you're certainly welcome to. I did ask for questions before I recorded this. Only got a few today. I understand Jazz are a little Jazz fans are a little dejected, and they're also looking uh, probably at uh, the NCAA tournament right now, which I don't blame you. Glenn Anderson, seems like we need a wing defender. Who's out there that could be available? Truthfully, difference-making wing defenders aren't A, plentiful, especially in today's NBA, you know, and B, just because you could go get those guys doesn't mean they're going to find a way under the roster. I don't know who finds a way under this Jazz roster right now, unless you make a crazy trade like sending Boyan Bogdanovich to Boston for Marcus Smart because they need a scoring forward and you want a little more guard help, but even then, like, where, where does Marcus Smart get in on this guard rotation? Like, you had Shaq Harrison, who's a pretty tenacious defender on the ball, and he couldn't get into the rotation at all to the point that Jazz cut him. And Marcus Smart's way better than Shaq Harrison, don't get me wrong, but I don't think you're going and getting a guard that comes into the, this rotation because Mike Conley's so good, Donovan Mitchell's so good, Jordan Clarkson's so good, and Joe Ingles is so good. So then you're talking about a three or a four, and... Trevor Ariza just off the market because he got traded to Miami and the Jazz didn't have the assets or the salaries to go out and trade for him. Uh, maybe you hope that Otto Porter or Garrett Temple get waived in Chicago and you sign one of those guys and you find a way to get them minutes alongside Royce O'Neill and alongside, you know, Joe Ingles if he's ever playing the three or Boyan Bogdanovich at the four. I guess that's certainly possible. Maybe you take George and Yang's minutes, but. The Jazz really like their ability to space the floor, so you have to come in and be able to shoot. And Otto Porter can certainly shoot. Garrett Temple doesn't play that big. He's more of a guard, so he goes back to that same issue of you know the Marcus Smart types that, that you're trying to acquire. I, I just think it's really hard to find minutes on this Jazz team where you're going to go out and get guys that are going to be difference makers defensively. And a month and a half ago, it wasn't a big deal because... You were playing so well defensively, even on the perimeter. Donovan Mitchell was. Mike Conley was. Jordan Clarkson was giving his best effort. Joe Ingles looked rejuvenized. I, I think you're as much dealing with a team that's exhausted right now and kind of in the malaise of the dog days of the NBA as you are a team that's fundamentally broken. Because I just don't at all believe the Jazz are fundamentally broken. I don't think you play at that hot level that they had for a while while also being a team that has these fatal flaws that are unfixable. I just I don't believe that's the case. So, I don't know if there's a strong wing defender who could come out and crack the rotation. Can, if you could trade Boyan Bogdanovich and somebody else to go get Jeremy Grant, he breaks the rotation. You know, Jeremy Grant starts at the four, and you love to have him. It's not going to happen. Other teams are offering, seems like, multiple first-round picks and good young players, and the Jazz just don't have those types of assets to trade. Uh Brent Speechley, Jazz are trending downward. So is a trade the answer or do they ride the season out? I think similarly to what I just said, first of all, I don't think the Jazz are trending downward. I get that they're not playing as well as they were. I don't think you're looking at a team that's going to fall to the fourth or the fifth seed. In fact, I think three weeks from now, it's more likely they're still the number one seed than it is their any other's position, which I get that's probably a pretty big gamble to say, but that's kind of what my gut tells me about this team. I suspect this starts to fix itself as they get healthy and stay healthy. Uh, So I think they probably ride the season out. They could sign a 10-day contract guy. They could still go out on the free agent or the waiver market. I talked about a couple of names already. Um, Maybe they try and get Ursan Ilyasova in the rotation, but I don't think they make a trade. That would surprise me, and I don't know what pieces they would move. Matt Lyons on Twitter. Should Ilyasova take anyone's minutes off the bench? If not, why did the Jazz sign him? So... If he's taking anyone's minutes off the bench, he's taking George Niang's minutes. And if he's taking George Niang's minutes, he needs to shoot close to 40% from three, which he's really never done for his career. He's about a 36% shooter. Uh, he needs to be better defensively, which I don't know if he's ever been. He draws charges, but that doesn't mean he's a great defensive player. He rebounds better. He's a really good rebounder for a guy who's kind of a stretch four. He wouldn't expect him to be as good as he is on that end. He kind of had a couple of games where he had like 15 rebounds last year for the Bucks, but then he was also playing starting minutes. And lost his job to Marvin Williams. So I don't see that where he would come in and take anyone's minutes. Maybe you could find 10 minutes combined taking, you know, shaving off a couple of minutes from Boyan Bogdanovich if he continues to play poorly. And a couple from George Niang. Or you play him at the five and you keep Derek Favors off the floor a little bit. Or you think he can play the three, which is probably a stretch. And he takes minutes from... Royce O'Neal here and there, but like, I don't think you want to take Royce O'Neal off the floor because he's your best wing defender at this point. So I think you signed Ersan Elias over for a couple of reasons. One, insurance if you either lose Boyan or George Niang for an injury. Another, if you trade Boyan Bogdanovich, which I wouldn't say is totally out of the realm of possibility, but I think it's highly unlikely at this point. I still think the Jazz are smart and look and say, hey, last year he was so great. He got injured. He's coming off surgery. He still generates a ton of good looks. He's not shooting well right now, but nothing historically says he should be hitting this wall right now where he should just not be able to shoot anymore like he did last night where he went, what, 0 for 6 from 3. I think that's seriously an outlier and not what to expect the rest of the way. So that, that's how I would put that. I, I think he's probably more likely to be the answer to your problems than trading him is going to bring you the answer to your problems. So you just need him to get back to being normal, and I think that's got to be the hope with Boyan Bogdanovich. If he keeps struggling for the next month and you say, hey, we got to shut him down, he's not healthy, then you're really happy to have our son Ilyasova because he can play some of those minutes and has proven it. I won't be surprised if the Jazz try and get him an opportunity to get out there and play just so if there are bad Boyan Bogdanovich nights, uh, you could mix it up a little bit. But I don't think he's here to take anyone's spot. I do think you audition him for a year. And if he looks like an NBA player next year, he's a good player to bring back on a low contract. If he's cheaper than George Niang next season, you bring him back. If you trade Boyan Bogdanovich in the offseason, you bring Ersan Ilyasova back. Like, There's several reasons to have him on this roster right now uh, that I think you could end up finding use for him. All right, uh, I'm going to finish typing up my Jazz pregame story. I'm going to throw this on there. So I appreciate you guys reading that and listening to this and getting ready for the game uh, tonight, or if you're listening to this over the weekend, Saturday or Sunday, as you get ready for the Bulls game. Find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops, read me at kslsports.com or in the KSL Sports app. This is the Jazz Notes Podcast.